Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special episode of the Dana Buckler Show. I am your co-host for this, Mike Scott. Uh, You may know me from the 20th Century Movie Club on Dana's show. And we are tonight going to be talking about a movie that has been very, very uh, much in the popular conscious lately. We are going to be talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League, a.k.a. the Snyder Cut. Now... Longtime listeners of this show know how Dana feels about CGI movies, about comic book movies, about Zack Snyder movies. Um, and so he is not going to be here. I did reach out to him just so everybody knows. Don't think I'm hijacking his show. I did reach out to him and ask him if he wanted to join us. And he politely declined. But he did tell me that I was free to to do one if I wanted to. So instead, I brought in a couple of my good friends, uh, two of my best comic book buddies, two of my favorite movie people, uh, one of whom has been on the show before. So I'll introduce him first. He is the host of uh, the Cobwebs podcast. Podcast, which used to be a, uh, a heavily focused horror podcast, but he's branching out. He's also got a new YouTube channel. Daniel Epler, how are you tonight? Hey, Mike. Oh, I'm doing really good. I feel very honored to be back on the Dana Buckler show. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about superheroes, even though talking about superheroes on the internet can be dangerous. It can be scary, but I feel like I'm in good hands with you and our other co-hosts. So I'm feeling good. Yeah, I think, I think we'll be okay. Uh, we will staunchly avoid any toxicity on this show. Um, <laughs> and our other guest tonight, he is, uh, my, my action brother from another mother. He is the co-host of the action drunkies podcast. He is making his appearance. First appearance on the Dana Buckler show, the cinema drunkie himself, Rob Antiquera. Rob, how are you tonight? I am good. Uh, I am very good. Thank you for allowing me to take part in this discussion. Uh, really appreciate it also um, for allowing me to take part in um, the, my first appearance on the Dana Buckler show. Uh, I really respect Dana and uh, all, everything he's got going on with the show. So I really, really, really hyped about this one. Of course, um, me being a uh, uh, I know it's dangerous to say to, that you're a Zack Snyder fan, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but um, I'm really, really looking forward to this discussion. Yeah, yeah, me too. And that that's why I reached out to you guys, because I, I think this is a movie, you know, like it or don't like it. This is a movie that needs to be talked about, not just because of what's in the movie, but because of everything that's around it. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to go deep in the weeds on it. Everybody knows that Snyder had to leave the movie uh, mid-production. Joss Whedon was brought in. He recut it, reshot a bunch of it. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And then now, due to a variety of circumstances, uh, Snyder was allowed to come back and finish his vision of the movie. Uh, before we get into the actual movie, I want to I want to ask you guys, uh, what have been your thoughts of the Snyder verse of the DCEU, uh, if you will, leading up to this? Rob, let's go ahead and start with you. Um, to tell you the truth, though, when he was first announced as the director of Man of Steel, I I was taken aback a bit because uh, if you if you you know knowledgeable Snyder and and his films, uh, Zach uh, has a particular style and way of doing things, uh, particularly of the R rated kind. So like for him to be given the keys to doing Superman, it was like. Well, that's a choice, you know, 
But um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a perfect Superman movie. I have my problems with it, but I think it was very well done. Um, that that first, uh, his first entry, that Man of Steel. Uh, I I liked I liked it a bit. I like Henry Cavill. I thought uh, um, Michael Shannon was a great Zod and all that stuff. I I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. But uh, yeah, that that was a head scratcher when they picked uh, Zach to do it. You know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Daniel. I know you uh, aren't. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're you're not the biggest Man of Steel fan. What what are your thoughts on on that one? Well, when Man of Steel came out in 2013, I could not possibly have been more excited for it. It was like Avengers level excitement from the previous year because I thought the trailer was so stunning. I still think it's one of the best trailers I've ever seen. And um, at, at that time, at least, I was very, very high on Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. And I wasn't familiar with Zack Snyder. So going into it, it was the Nolan produced Superman movie. It wasn't necessarily the Zack Snyder Superman movie to me. Um, I saw it. I convinced myself it was good. I remember distinctly it came out the same weekend as the Seth Rogen comedy, This is the End. And I remember being shocked that I liked This is the End better than Man of Steel. But um, but I convinced myself I liked it. And then when I got it on Blu-ray, it was like around Christmas of that year. And I watched it again. I realized how dull I find that movie. And uh, and I did rewatch it actually within the past year, maybe just a few months ago. And uh, I still just don't care for it as much as I deeply want to. I am a big Henry Cavill fan and I love him and everything he's ever done except as Superman. I just don't get that sweet small town charm from him. It, it feels to me like he's very much embracing the alien side of Superman and not so much embracing the Smallville side, uh, which is disappointing to me. It's, of course, not all his fault. I think, you know, Zack Snyder's not particularly interested in the Smallville aspects or the Daily Planet aspects of Superman. And, and I love all that stuff. I like Superman universe being like his girl Friday influenced, you know, with superhero stuff thrown in. And Zack Snyder's just not interested in that. And right now I'm actually a big fan of the CW show Superman and Lois. It's more what I want from Clark Kent from that character. Um, so Man of Steel, I find it, you know, very heavy on CGI fighting. I don't find the CGI fighting particularly interesting. And I just don't find the character stuff that interesting. But I will say, I do really love the stuff of him growing up. I like those flashbacks, but especially like the second half of that movie that is so much fighting. I'm not super into it. No. So I think we can all agree, you know, well, I don't know that we all agree. I have long stated that that Man of Steel trailer is actually the best Superman movie that's ever been made. That that three minute trailer is the best Superman movie that's ever been made. It's it's incredible. Um, so I really strongly disliked Man of Steel when I saw it in the theater. Um, I disliked it even more the first time I saw it on home video. I rewatched it again about a month ago and had a bit of a breakthrough on it uh where i think it's so close to being a great movie it's it's so close but there are some decisions that uh zach snyder makes and and david goyer the screenwriter make in that movie and we're, we don't need to relitigate them they've been re, you know killing zod all the buildings cl- crashing stuff like that that i think really do keep it from 
being a great Superman movie. I will still say that I think the scene where he first gets his suit and learns to fly while Jor-El is giving the voiceover about you will lead them into the sun is as close to perfection for me as far as Superman goes. And it's actually, we'll talk about it later, it's actually relevant because Snyder uses that same trick again in Justice League to, I think, almost even better effect. Uh, And that really works. Uh, What I will say is I think I like Man of Steel now more having seen Justice League because I can actually see the complete arc that Zack Snyder was trying to tell. I don't necessarily agree with the arc, but I can see it and it makes more sense to me now. So, um, Rob, anything you want to add about Man of Steel before we, we get into the, the other weird, uh, Zack Snyder movie. <laughs> um, yeah, like I, I, I agree with both of you, both of you, your sentiments. Um, there is a near perfect Superman movie in there, but um, there there are like several several creative choices that keep it from there. Like um, I always felt he he it, it seems like he becomes Superman too soon. Like uh, that that was always my like 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 what at what point does he get the suit? Almost like the forty minute mark, right? And then uh, it's like okay, then he's just Superman. Yeah, and if you contrast that to, to like Donner, you know, you're over an hour into the movie before he becomes Superman in, in the Donner version. Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's like, it was almost like a rush to get him into that suit. And uh, like I said, they capped that scene off with, with the, the, which is one of my top, I would say, three Superman moments, which is his first flight. And um, and all that stuff is great. And then they, they go right into the plot with Zod. And then it's just like nonstop fighting, like Daniel said. It's almost like the Smallville scene is fine with me, but then uh, when they go to Metropolis and then it's just nonstop destruction, it's like, I, I don't, like, to me, the movie climaxes when he destroys the world engine and we didn't need to go beyond that. That fight with Zod is unnecessary in my opinion. Um, but it is what it is. Uh, I, I wasn't the director in charge. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but um, other than that, like, like those... The, those moments and like the dialogue is a kitschy a uh, few places here and there. Uh, I think I, I I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. It's probably out of well, I can't really say um, Justice League because it just came out. But um, out of the two between uh, Man of Steel and BVS, I probably return to Man of Steel the least. The I've I've definitely seen BVS more than Man of Steel at this point. Well, and one thing just about Superman, and I don't, I'll ask both of you if you agree with me on this. There never has been, I think, a really perfect Superman movie. I, I, I think every Superman movie has some some very significant flaws. Um, you know, Donner is probably the best. 78 is probably the closest we get. But even that... Uh, there's some things I think that just don't really work, especially at the end. It's almost like Superman movies have a really hard time knowing how to stick the landing because I think, I think the very end of, of 78 not great. The very end of, of both versions of Superman two are not great. Um, Superman three and four exist They're They're there, but uh, Superman returns doesn't know how to stick the landing. And then man of steel fails to stick the landing. I just, I feel like there's something about, Superman that they can't quite figure out how to 
how to bring it in. You get you get this high point and then it feels like they need something bigger. And uh, Man of Steel suffers from that same that same problem, I think. Man, I completely agree. It's always frustrated me that I feel like there's never been a Superman movie that I completely love. Superman 78 is definitely the closest for me. Uh, But still, there's a lot of things about that movie that don't quite work for me. Uh, For me, my favorite Superman quote unquote movie is honestly probably the three parter premiere of Superman, the animated series from the 90s. I love that three-parter. Like I literally tear up watching it because it's so exactly what I want from Superman. And and when Wonder Woman came out in 2017, that felt to me like what I always wanted from a Superman movie, but no Superman movie quite reached it. So I'm happy that Wonder Woman scratched that itch for me, but I still, I would still love to get a perfect Superman movie. And I don't think we're quite there yet. Good call on the the Superman the animated series. That that is just I mean that that is perfect. In fact, there's been a couple of DC animated Superman movies that I think are is probably as close as we might ever get uh to to perfect because they actually the the brand new um Death of Superman that not brand new but came out a couple of years ago is also just absolutely a terrific uh Superman movie. Uh way better I think than kind of the death of Superman that we get in BVS, which we'll get to, but, uh, yeah. Uh, anything else you guys want to add? I, w- I would say that, uh, I definitely wanted the uh, second or third that, uh, Superman, the animated series. Um, my, I was a kid in the nineties and, uh, that is my, as much as I love Reeve and, uh, you know, those, those movies, um, Superman the animated series is my is my definitive Superman. That that's 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 my that's my when I think of Superman I think of that cartoon. You know, it's it's perfect in every way in, in the way you envision Superman. You know, it's just I love that cartoon so much. So I was um, when it premiered on HBO Max, I watched it all day. <laughs> Yeah, it it and, and Justice League. I was I was talking to uh, a friend of the show, uh, Matt Bledsoe, about Justice League, uh, the Justice League Christmas special, uh, which is one of my favorite Christmas episodes of anything. But I love the fact that the Kents, like I don't mind an edgier or a more mature Superman, but I also don't want to lose sight of that Superman is initially for kids. And so I love in that one the Kents complaining to Martian Manhunter that they used to have to wrap all of Clark's presence in in lead because he would use his x-ray vision to see what he was getting for Christmas. And then it cuts to him as a grown-ass adult picking up his presence from under the tree and going, lead, lead. <laughs> and it's just, I love it. Um, I, I think there's room, and this is something we'll talk about more. There's room for multiple interpretations of Superman. Uh, you know, comic books aren't beholden to one interpretation, but I do think that that animated series one might be the pinnacle. Um, all right, well then let's move on to the next one, which is of course, Batman versus Superman. And I'll, I'll start off on this one. And then, which is when I saw this in the theater, I thought I saw the fever dream of a lunatic and had no idea what I had just put into my brain. Uh, I thought it was it was a mess. I thought it was borderline uh, offensively terrible. I thought that you could have taken it and put each scene in a blender and 
released them all in a completely different order and it would have made the same amount of sense as the theatrical version did. And then I started finding myself ironically liking it because it was so weird and just so odd. And then I saw the damn Ultimate Edition. And it turns out that if you cut 45 minutes out of a movie that's supposed to have 45 minutes in it, it makes kind of a big difference. And the first time I saw the Ultimate Edition, I was like, oh, this is actually, if not good, interesting. And then I rewatched the Ultimate Edition this time and similar to Man of Steel, but even more extremely, just did a full turnaround on it. Uh, and, and everything that I didn't like about it, I still don't like a lot of the stuff, but I've finally decided I'm just going to buy into Zack Snyder's version of these characters and go with the movie. And once I did that, I really enjoyed it. Um, Rob, what are you, I know you kind of have similar thoughts about the, the ultimate edition and BVS. What, what were your thoughts? Okay. So, um, I mean, I could visually show you guys my love for. And for those listening, Rob is holding up like mm-hmm. seven different versions of the movie right and, now. <laughs> so, yes, I, I am a, a big supporter of BBS. Um, I took all the abuse uh, imaginable for my love of BBS. I've been told I need to be gassed for liking it. Uh, all all that goody goody stuff that um, you, you get to hear uh, on the you know the the wide world of the internet you know for just being a fan of Zack Snyder, but um, I actually to, to be honest with you, I actually liked the theatrical cut a bit, um, even though I it, it was very choppy. Even my mother complained about it. Like uh, my mother, uh, we saw it separately. She saw it with my dad, and I saw it with my girlfriend at the time, and. Uh, she was like, I liked it, but it's it's, it's the, the the editing was giving me a headache, um, and I was like, yeah, it, it feels chopped up. It, it definitely feels like somebody went at this with a with a meat cleaver. But what the the one thing I really like about it is that how seriously Zach takes these characters, especially like um, like trying to put them into like a realistic setting and ask those kind of questions, like a world. Um, we kind of get that in Man of Steel, but to a greater degree in, in BVS, where um, how would the world react to if, you know, if we got, like, a super-powered hero, like, and, like, you, you could see, like, kind of semblance, like, it, it makes a lot more sense now when you see, like, people crowds, like, go back to where you came from, illegal alien, like, we hate you, and then it's like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that's too far off in, in thinking that, um, and, and and I like that. I like I like having like because like you were saying, Superman has been around for like over eighty years, and um, there, there's no one way to do him. So I like seeing like different ways that you know people can interpret him, and I like that interpretation of him. Like he's like he feels the the weight of the world on his shoulders. The, um, I know people were offended by the fact that you know he wasn't the the smiling big boy scout that they knew and they loved and saving cats out of a tree. That was a big complaint that he doesn't smile when he saves anybody. He looks like he hates saving people. And it's like, well, you know, he's getting spit on the whole movie. Uh, I'd be depressed too. But I like that. I like the the interpretation of Batman as well. Um, I know the, 
that was that was a big divisive one. The creative choice is Batman breaking his no killing rule. But I like that the, the the movie gives him shit for it. You know, it doesn't really let him off the hook. Um, like like in comparison to like uh, Batman and Batman Returns, when he shows dynamite down the the clown's pants and then smiles as the man explodes. You know, the, like the, they they the movie really you. goes Sorry. out of its way to. Con- let me interrupt you really quick, Rob. No, because that, that is a point that I want to raise uh, is is that people do forget that that Burton's Batman like kills the shit out of people, too, which I don't like in those movies either. I'm one of the guys who's not a fan of of Batman murdering the shit out of people. But let us be honest about the fact that this that, that movie Batman, by and large, has been a killer. Uh, and and if you're going to come at me with that somehow, even Christopher Nolan is come at me somehow with, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you either. Is any different? Get out of here. Because that's a technicality. No, that doesn't count. Like, film Batman kill people. Like, that, that has just been a thing that filmmakers have done. Snyder just took it to the nth degree. I've never liked it. I don't like it here. Uh, but it didn't break the movie for me the way it did for some other people. Um, and I, I have a hard time taking people who champion Batman 89 as the perfect Batman, getting mad at Batman killing people in, in BVS uh, because... Burton had no problem with his Batman killing people either. So, you know. Nah, most definitely. Like, a lot of people forget that. A lot of people forget that uh, um, Michael Keaton as Batman is like a cold-blooded murderer. Like, he literally um, uh, he blows up uh, Axis Chemicals with, like, how many people in it in 89 um he sets one of the the the, and batman returns he sets one of them on fire with the with the flame from the 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 batmobile and of course that that pivotal scene where he shoves the dynamite down dude's pants and then smiles as my right before my man explodes so it's like uh i I don't i don't want to hear i don't want to hear it um i I don't want to hear about that but uh that's the one thing i did like is that um he he's he's basically condemned like throughout the whole movie on it, particularly by Alfred. Um, when Alfred gives that whole, uh, the fever, the rage, you know, turns good men cruel, you know, he's he definitely said like, you know, you changed, man, you changed. And he's just like, his mind is cloudy. He can't see it, which is how is he like, which is, I like to point out is how he's so easily manipulated. Cause everybody's like, he's the world's greatest detective. And like, you know, Luther tricks him. And it's like, cause his mind is clouded. He's a changed man. Like, you know, like when he that that line he delivers 20 years in Gotham, how many good guys are left and how many stayed that way. He doesn't realize he's talking about himself. You know, he he's he's completely changed. He's he like a lot of people don't realize he but the conflict between him and Superman. He is the villain. Batman has almost gone completely full heel at this moment in, in his career. And it's like, I mean, I, I, I enjoy that interpretation, you know, at least, uh, you know, somebody. Like that's what I like about Snyder is that when he has ideas, he really goes for the ideas. 
like that man swings for the fences with some shits, you know. So I, I, I really appreciate something like that where it's like you, you can look at the character in a way that nobody has ever really looked at them before. And you know, that bothers you. I'm sorry, but I liked it. <laughs> Daniel, your thoughts, because I know you had a bit of a similar turnaround on the Ultimate Edition as I did. That is very true. Uh, I will just very quickly set up my excitement for this movie because I still remember looking at my phone one day and seeing the news notification that Batman versus Superman had been announced at Comic-Con. And I remember seeing the logo that they announced with the Batman logo in front of the Superman logo. I remember seeing the bootleg footage that somebody filmed in Comic-Con of Batman in that giant metal suit standing by the signal and the voiceover, tell me, do you bleed? You will. And it was like I had seen the face of God. It was the most exciting movie announcement ever. I was could not have been more thrilled that this movie was coming out. And it was an absolutely crushing theatrical disappointment when I saw it. Um, and, and it was really the last time I had been crushingly disappointed by a comic book movie. Like ever since then, really, like if I don't like a superhero movie, there's going to be five more next year. I don't really care that much anymore. But that movie... Uh, was terribly disappointing. And it's still hard for me to divorce the movie from that memory. But I did eventually check out the theatrical cut on Blu-ray because I worked at a video store and I could rent it for free. It's practically the only reason. And the first reason that I started to fall for it a little bit was I realized how much I loved the Batman stuff. And, and, you know, I I love Superman and everything, but Batman is, is absolutely like the longest love of my pop culture love of my life other than the Universal Monsters. And uh, and I realized just on a visual level how much I love just sitting there looking at everything related to Batman in that movie. And I became a little bit obsessed with the movie and I watched it three times in a week. I just became fascinated by it. And I wasn't sure at first if it was good. I knew I liked it better, but it was just this crazy Donzo blockbuster that was so odd and so unlike really any other superhero movies that come out. And I was just very interested in it. And um and it's a movie that my love for it has grown slowly over time. And when I rewatched it before this Justice, Justice League movie came out just like a week ago, uh, I, I loved it even more. I realized I'd really come around on pretty much everything in that movie. What the ultimate cut does for me is it makes Superman's character make sense. Uh, my biggest problem with theatrical cut is Superman felt like a complete afterthought. I had no idea what he wanted, what he was doing, what the, even his purpose was in that movie. Uh, and the theatrical cut, the ultimate cut, excuse me, completely cleans that up. It's still like, it's not the vision I want of Superman. I don't necessarily, like my first choice is not a Superman movie about the burden of being a God and whether or not people want you and blah, blah, blah. Like it's not necessarily my favorite, but it's a vision and it's interesting. And it's a vision I have not seen in a movie before. So I do really appreciate it. Um, You know, like I wouldn't have picked Zack Snyder to be the guy to helm the DC universe, but I'm at the point now where like he has a genuine vision and it's interesting. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. He can just keep doing it. Yeah, you know, that that so is similar to how I feel. I, you, the theatrical cut for me just... Nothing anybody does makes any sense in, in that version. Uh, because they cut out... First of all, they, they, they don't cut out a ton of Superman, but they cut out a crap ton of Clark Kent. And, and, and so it, it doesn't make any sense for me in the theatrical version. 
I get why Batman has has a hate hard on for Superman. They establish that, but they don't really establish why Superman has, you know, almost shares those feelings for Batman. And in the Ultimate Edition, we get all the scenes of him talking to all the people in Gotham and and finding out how Batman's really lost his way and has has become this this horrifying monster that kind of needs to be stopped and even then we still sort of get him trying not to fight initially uh but it does make sense why he's not giving batman necessarily the leeway that you would think but you only get that in the ultimate edition you also the thing that also really turns around for me on the ultimate edition i still don't like him i i think but I, I can appreciate what they were trying to do with Jesse Eisenberg, uh, Lex Luthor, as, as Mark Zuckerberg. I think it's a noble idea. I think the execution's flawed. But at least in the Ultimate Edition, his machinations behind the scenes, the way he's playing everybody in the movie is much more clear than it is in the theatrical cut. In the theatrical cut, it's like Jesse Eisenberg just drops in every 12 and a half minutes and does, you know, sticks Jolly Ranchers in people's faces and then disappears for a while and we don't really know what he's doing. And in the Ultimate Edition, you really see, like, the way he's manipulating Scoot McNary and the way he's manipulating Batman and how... All of this is because of him, because he's decided he doesn't like a god living amongst us and wants to take him down. And the best way to do that is with, uh, you know, pitting two gods essentially against one another. That's so much more clear. Um, What I really got out of the Ultimate Edition and why I really like it is so many people talked about how Zack Snyder was basing his Batman on... Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, you know, the metal suit and stuff like Do You Bleed and stuff like that. But what he's really doing, I think, is it's much more Mark Wade's Kingdom Come. I don't know if you guys have ever read that, but but Mark Wade and Alex Ross's Kingdom Come is very much about the burden of being gods uh, amongst people and what does that mean? And especially the burden that Superman carries for all of that. Uh, and and contrasting it with this new wave of heroes who are more violent, more aggressive, more um, willing to destroy things and stuff like that. And once I kind of got figured out that it was sort of more kingdom come than anything, I think I really liked it a lot better. I'm with you, Daniel. It's not my favorite characterization, but it's a characterization that I find interesting. And honestly, as much as I love my MCU and Lord knows I love it. Uh, I like that this is the singular vision of a creative madman, uh, which is not something that we can always say about a lot of other comic book movies. Um, You know, yeah, Tim Burton, sure, absolutely. But uh, I don't know that there's many other comic book movies that you can say one person, this is their dream. This is their vision. You can not like it. It is 100% Will Abider. Rob, you said it earlier. When he goes, man, he swings. He swings hard, and sometimes he hits, sometimes he misses. Uh, but you gotta love somebody that swings hard, especially in modern blockbuster cinema. Yeah, but realistically, it is a problem that the DC universe is like the vision of one creative filmmaker, and the Marvel universe is the vision of one businessman. And the businessman can actually make the business stuff happen and make these movies actually get made. But when 
it's the vision of a filmmaker, he may very well be setting up things we'll never see, which is sad to say, but the DC like needs a producer who can make movies happen and also let guys like Zack Snyder carry out their vision. And I just don't know if that's going to happen, you know? Yeah. And that's definitely something we'll come back to because I think that's going to be an important thing when we're done talking about the actual justice league. Um, Rob, anything else you want to add about BVS? Um, no, I think I got everything out. Uh, and you guys hit all, all the, the points that needed to be said. Um, I will say though that um, I, don't, I don't know. The, um, I I've never seen such a reaction before. Like in all my years of living, I've never seen a movie be so polarizing and divisive than that one. Where it's like just like like I said, like just announcing I liked it. I, I was told I need to be gassed for liking Batman v Superman. I've never had anyone tell me that I, I, I deserve to die for liking a movie before. So it's like, Jesus Christ, you know, but uh, that, that doesn't, that doesn't change uh, my feelings toward the movie. I, I, I still love it. Um, especially the, the, the ultimate edition. Once I seen the ultimate edition, I want to point out, I've never, I have never returned to the theatrical cut since uh, my first viewing of the ultimate edition my I, matter of fact, that's a lie. My father was watching it, and I, and I joined him, and it, I was just disgusted, and uh, I left because you could see exactly how they 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 fucked with it. Like um, like for instance, why would you remove the line after uh, right before Doomsday makes his appearance, and Luther says, uh, "I don't hate the sinner, I hate the sin, and yours is existing." Like that's this whole point of hating super. Why would you remove that? You know. It was like you were saying, like, you know, his his motives are so much more clear in the Ultimate Edition and you just bungled it up. But um, yeah, it's it's half a movie. About, it's a theatrical yeah. cuts half a movie, uh, it, it, not running time wise, but content, you know, uh, story wise. It's half a movie. I, I can't under I can't imagine ever going back and watching the theatrical cut again. I, I, I just I, I don't if I don't have the three hours to watch the ultimate edition, I'm just not going to watch Batman versus Superman because I, I, I can't conceive of watching the theatrical cut again. I agree. I agree. I, I don't think I'll ever return to uh that version of the movie ever again. All right. Well then one last thing to talk about before we get into the movie of the hour, uh, a movie that I actually have defended quite heartily. And, uh, for quite a long time, I rated four stars on letterboxd the 2017 theatrical release of justice league. Daniel, let's start with you. Your thoughts on that one. Uh, it was a movie where, when I went to see it, I just kind of threw my hands up and was like, whatever, man, it's fine. I don't even care anymore. Um, I, I did. I thought it was okay. Uh, I kind of liked that. It reminded me of like a Joel Schumacher Batman movie, which I have a bit of nostalgia for the Joel Schumacher vision. Um, it's not necessarily something I want to keep going in modern comic book movies, but like I've, I've nostalgia for it. And, uh, and, and this movie kind of felt like that, but, it, it felt incredibly rushed. Um, 
I, you know, it's, it sucks to like call out the CGI lip, but the CGI lip is deeply distracting for me. I never stopped looking at it the whole time. I know I heard from a lot of people said they didn't even notice it. And I, I envy those people. Um, I've said before that Steppenwolf is my least favorite villain I've ever seen in a comic book movie because he was just so bland and so nothing. Uh, but, but after the theatrical experience, I was like, you know what? It was kind of fun. I like, I like it enough. I don't really care. Uh, but the, I did try to rewatch it once on Blu-ray and, and couldn't get through it and never tried to rewatch it again. That's about all I got. Rob. So um, my first thoughts on it were, um, I, I, what did I say? I said, it's a okay, but soulless live action Sunday morning cartoon. Not a Saturday morning cartoon, a Sunday morning cartoon. The ones that are not good enough to get on Saturdays. <laughs> the, like uh, Street Fighter, the animated series, or Mortal Kombat, Defenders of the Realm. You know what it is? It, it, it kind of feels like a, a, a slightly bigger budgeted episode of uh, Tattoo Teenage Alien Fighters from Beverly Hills. <laughs> like, it, it is just like, eh, this is, um, I mean, it was fine. It was, uh, like, like I said, like, I was more of a subtle defender of it. Like, if you ask me, I, I would tell you it's fine. It's not great. I, I didn't, at that time, I didn't think it was the dumpster fire everyone was saying it was. It, it, it wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was fine. That's the, that's the best way I could describe it to people when they ask me. You know, is this... I, I kind of like that they tried to, like, bring back corny Superman. The, like, that his, his line and the when he enters the final battle that uh, I believe in truth, but I'm also a big fan of justice. I was like, I, I like that. You know, I, I know people were like, ill, but I was like, I, I thought it was fine. You know, if, if I, you're familiar I, with I Superman. I fist pumped in the theater. I'm not going to lie when he said that. For those who don't know, there's a scene where Steppenwolf goes, do you see it? Do you see the truth? And all of a sudden you hear Superman go, I'm a big fan of truth, but I'm also a big fan of justice. As he punches Steppenwolf, I... I fully admit I fist bumped. I like I was like, yeah. <laughs> but right, because it's such a Superman thing to say. It's, it's something that he would say, you know, because he's corny uh in, in a lot of his iterations. And and I don't I don't mean corny as a derogatory bad thing. I I love some corny Superman. Um and like it, it it reminded very much of uh the scene of Superman 2, Zod, would you care to step outside? You know, like it, it brought back memories of that, and that's why I appreciate it. Um, I didn't sometimes like some the CG lip issue. I actually talked to somebody who who worked on the with a team who was responsible for removing the mustache, particularly in the opening scene, the infamous opening scene where it's the most noticeable. And he said that they 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 worked hard uh, and they f like they tried their best to make it look realistic and they just didn't have enough time and Warner Brothers um actually wanted to remove it and Joss Whedon refused he absolutely refused to let them remove that scene he fought them on it so I was like okay so now that's why we have a uh, Superman looking like he he's got swollen mouth because Joss wanted that scene in there for some reason the thing that kills me about that is so other than that opening scene, we don't see him until they bring him back to life in the rest of the movie. Like you couldn't have just had the mother box 
give him a beard and just had Henry Cavill grow out a beard instead of spending millions of dollars to digitally remove his mustache. I said the exact same thing. Bearded Superman would have been fine. Just have him grow a fucking beard. <laughs> like, like bearded Superman would have been awesome. I, anytime I see bearded Superman in the comics, I get excited. Bearded Superman rules. Um, so I absolutely loved this thing when I saw it in the theater. Now, I feel like you guys and people listening need a little bit of background. A, I love Joss Whedon. Uh, well, I loved Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon was a very formative part of growing up. Buffy and Angel and Firefly are three of my favorite things in the world. I've met him uh, because I got to see uh, uh, an early screening of Firefly that he was at. Um and he was very nice when I met him for what it's worth, which is nothing because he's a creep and a monster. But uh, and the Avengers is my second favorite comic book movie of all time. I fucking love the Avengers. It's one of my favorite cinema experiences ever. I saw it four times in one day. Um, well, no, sorry. I saw it three times in one day and four times in two days. Uh, so. There was a lot of goodwill going into this movie. On top of that, at that time, it seemed like it was the only Justice League that we were ever going to get. So I think I just was so unbelievably grading on a curve. And there is still a lot of good stuff in the movie. Um, And so I was a big defender of it. I acknowledged all the problems with it. The lip was terrible. Some of the cheesy one-liners were bad. Flash falling on Wonder Woman's boobs was terrible. Um, But, you know, we got some stuff that I thought was really great. I thought that that, uh, the save one line, you know, Batman telling Flash, save one, see how it feels, then you'll know, was was really still one of my favorite things in a movie. Um, as dumb as it was, I liked Aquaman sitting on the lasso and being like, I don't want to die. And then he finds out he's on the lasso. What I realize now, and we'll get in, we'll transition right into it is, uh, so much of the stuff that I loved, I mentioned two things that are Whedon, but so much of the stuff that I loved that I was giving Whedon credit for was actually Snyder and was actually in Snyder's version. And so, I have fond memories of liking Whedon's Justice League, but I can't say that I really do like it anymore uh, because barring a couple of things, uh, I realized that the credit that I was giving him was uh, not due to him and that, quite frankly, Unless you guys have more to say about the theatrical cut, we'll just roll right into to Zach's version. Um, quite frankly, almost every single decision Whedon made made the movie worse and was almost seemed like it was out of spite. Uh, and and I, I'm thinking of one thing in particular, uh, which was funny in the theatrical version, but the, the scene where, where Batman's trying to recruit Aquaman and he goes, uh, you know, strong man is strongest alone. You ever hear of that? And in the theatrical version, we get Bruce quipping, uh, that's not the saying. That's like the exact opposite of the saying, which is kind of funny. But then you see here, you get Bruce saying, he died by my side uh, and we were stronger together, which isn't a quip. It's actually a really poignant, I thought, profound thing. 
And I was so angry when I saw, when I realized that that kind of profound, poignant scene had been undercut for a fucking Joss Whedon quip. And it it really... So, let's get into it. I'm just going to ask some initial first impressions. So, Daniel, let's start with you. Your initial thoughts on Zack Snyder's Justice League. So it's four hours long for anyone who doesn't know. And on Thursday night when it dropped, I did sit and watch the entire thing straight through, did not take an intermission. And I was very, very impressed with it. Um, It was vastly better than I had ever expected because I was not a release the Snyder cut person. I kind of laughed at those people. I never in a million years thought anything like this was, would happen. I didn't think it was possible, but um I, I couldn't believe what a polished movie it was. It didn't feel like a work print or an assembly cut at all. It does feel like a true movie. And um, I was blown away by how much better it was, how much more fleshed out everything was. I cared about the characters so much more. Um, like, for instance, there had been some talk in the past year about Ezra Miller possibly getting recast as the Flash in a future Flash movies. And I didn't care at all whether they recast him or not. Like, I didn't hate him or anything, but I didn't care. And after this, like, I will be beside myself if they recast Ezra Miller as the Flash. Like, I came to really care about him. Um, I adore the character of Wonder Woman in Patty Jenkins' first movie. I've never loved her as much in a future movie, but in this one, I do. This is the Wonder Woman from that 2017 film uh, that I came to love so much. Uh, but the the two improvements that stood out to me by far the most are, and we'll talk about them more in depth, I know, are Cyborg and Steppenwolf and how much vastly more, especially Cyborg, I, I liked in this movie. And it felt like, like I... I was angry at Joss Whedon and at the producers and everyone involved about what they did to Ray Fisher in this. Like, I can't imagine seeing what Zack Snyder did with Ray Fisher and this character and ripping that out, like feels criminal to me. Like, I just can't, there's no defending that decision. Um, So yeah, uh, I like it a lot. I like it much, much better than the theatrical cut. Rob, how about you? Yeah, um, like I said, I was a subtle defender of the theatrical cut, but um, uh, I'm with you, Mike. The, as as you know, seeing the Snyder cut, it's like it's it's almost like I, I'm I'm afraid to return to 2017's uh, Justice League because I'm afraid how infuriated I'm going to get just watching it. You know, from from all the creative decisions they made and like um i know we're getting ahead of ourselves but uh i want to throw it out there there's one scene out there that practically infuriated me um was when uh spoilers for you know yeah let me me just i should have said this at the start of the episode uh folks we are going to absolutely spoil the shit out of everything so if you haven't seen it and you want to uh tap out now and come back but we will be spoiling the hell out of this movie yeah um when the, the 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 league loses basically unity is complete and the mother boxes create a blast that basically kills the league all except for Flash. Went to Speed Force and reverses time to save them. And um, as he's he's running back, he delivers this beautiful line that, Dad, I want you to know, um, whatever happens, 
Your son was one of them, the very best of the best. And it's such a beautiful line. And that's such a beautiful moment as he's saving the league. Like, you know, you have Superman there, you have Batman there, these big three, and they're saved by Flash. And it's a beautiful, heroic moment. And I just can't wrap my head around these people watching this scene and going, that can go. Remove that. And not only remove it, but replace it with him pushing, spending the whole last battle pushing a pickup truck out of the way and then telling the family... Dostoevsky uh, instead of Dosvidanya. Like, uh, uh, oh, just again, listeners, you can't see this, but I am currently drinking out of a flash tiki mug uh, for this for this episode. So, no, and that's a perfect example of what we're kind of talking about. Is so, my thoughts are: I was absolutely blown away. I, Daniel, I'm with you. I was not a release the Snyder Cut guy. I actually think most of those people are unbelievably toxic and horrible. And I was a little uh, disappointed to hear that this movie was even getting made uh, because I did not like that that environment had been kowtowed to. Now, that being said, there's some important things to note. Uh, Zack Snyder himself has a pretty vociferously distanced himself from a lot of those people uh, and ultimately talking about the toxicity of that movement is kind of beyond the scope of what we're able to do on this podcast, especially because uh, a large amount of that toxicity was directed towards women, non-binary people, uh, trans people, and we are three cis dudes. Um, And so I don't really want to other than to say we obviously disavow any of that toxic behavior. Now, that being said, that's not this movie's fault. And that's not necessarily Zack Snyder's fault. And I'm not going to hold that against this movie because I thought this thing was fucking terrific. Like, I just really was stunned at the depth and the scope that was brought because one of the problems with the the theatrical version is it felt like you said, Rob, it it felt like a Sunday morning cartoon. It was so small. Uh, It compared to the Avengers or Avengers age of Ultron or infinity war. You know, it was so small. It just felt so constrained. Like, uh, like it should have been made in 1998, uh, not in 2017. This one feels Epic. This fills massive in scope, massive in theme. Um, It is a myth-building movie. It is again very much pulling from Kingdom Come and and uh, things like the New Frontier and and some of those other DC, those big epic DC things. Um, I'm rambling a little bit, but one of the things I love about DC, I've always been, when it comes to comics, I've always been a DC guy more than a Marvel guy. I love Marvel. Spider-Man's my, Spider-Man's my second favorite comic character after Superman. So don't get me wrong. I, this, I'm not one of those Marvel DC guys. I like them all. I, re, I, I just read fucking comics. But for some reason, DC's always resonated with me because I've always liked the idea that their heroes are kind of these gods living amongst us. Um, And Snyder really digs into that more than I think any other director has with DC characters. And, And I really loved that about this because this whole thing just feels huge as you're watching it. Uh, everything feels huge in it. 
And also, I should say, this is off the record. You guys feel free to chime in. I know I said mute yourself if you're not talking, but that doesn't mean you got to wait for me to like cue you in or anything. Jump in at any time. Okay, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, Daniel, you mentioned Cyborg and Ray Fisher. I, I think we we can't really talk about this movie without talking about that character. Um, yeah. So, Ray Fisher has been very upfront about how he was treated by Joss Whedon and by Warner Brothers. Uh, a lot of people didn't necessarily give that a lot of credibility. Uh, some people did. Uh, certainly, I think after seeing this movie, a lot more people are because I think it's kind of fair to say Cyborg is sort of the main character of this movie, right? Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. yeah, and I, I think he's undoubtedly the heart of the movie. Um, I think he gives the performance of the film, which for me is really saying something because I love the cast of this movie. And I think everyone is giving an absolute top notch performance. Um, it's a beautifully acted comic book movie. But uh, Ray Fisher is is the performance of the movie for me. Um I rewatched this movie last night um, and, and I realized like I liked it even better the second time. And I realized it, it's more than a movie that I'm like a big fan of. It's a movie I, I felt emotional about and I found myself tearing up a few times. Uh, but I definitely got choked up when Cyborg does for me, like one of the most moving acts of heroism I've seen in a comic book movie, which is just increasing the poor waitress's bank account. And I found that so moving. And that's the kind of thing that like, that's the kind of thing Tony Stark is never going to think about. But Cyborg does. Like he understands the troubles of real people. And I thought that was just such a beautiful moment, you know? I saw somebody on Twitter point out that it's one of the only movies where you actually see a hero not like rescue people from burning buildings, but actually just help somebody. Just do something kind. And that actually surprised me and then I started racking my brain and I was kind of like oh yeah you you don't see that a lot in superhero movies where they just do random acts of kindness you see that in comics quite a bit but you don't see it in the actual movies very often um Rob Sorry, your was... thoughts on Cyborg um yeah uh everybody I, I I've heard it all about Ray Fisher being bitter, uh, like you know, oh he's just mad because they forced him to say booyah in that uh, theatrical cut. And um, when you look upon this film, it's like, yeah, he he has every right to be pissed because they they took uh, uh, a performance and they turned it into nothing in that theatrical cut. I also wanted to point out that I realized um, I've seen the movie three times already. And uh, I've noticed that uh, it's kind of weird that he's also the only one of the league that uh, takes any real damage. Like um, when they're in the big battle and stuff, like, you know, they're all doing their fighting and all that stuff. And, but he doesn't really take any damage. And, and, but in the theatrical cut, he takes the blade to the shoulder and uh, he gets his leg ripped off. And it's like, is is Joss being spiteful? To 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 it, it seems it seems like because the the creative decisions that would go that went into removing this performance and like what they did to his role in the theatrical cut seems almost like like you said, Mike, out of spite. 
Like, like, what was the thought process? You know, I, I just, I don't, I don't know. How could somebody be so vindictive? Well, and he, he, um, you know, he also in the theatrical cut, he has to have Superman help him with the mother boxes. You know, in this one, Superman comes in at the very last second to help him pull him, pull him apart. But that's mm-hmm. because Cyborg's already gone into the mother boxes and done his thing. I think the perfect example of this, and I don't want to, you know, this whole thing to devolve into, we're just going to compare the two versions and stuff. But the the one that I think is, that, that really drives that home is... In this version, you get him going into the mother boxes and and Diana's already told him the mother boxes are going to tempt him with his fears and his wants and his desires. And he goes in and it's his dad and it's his mom and it's him looking human. And they're saying, you know, uh, you, you, you come with us. You won't be alone. You know, we can fix you. And. It's so great because and Fisher just nails the line where he he goes, I am not broken. And then he sticks his hands in and he goes, and I'm not alone. And you swap that in the theatrical cut for my toes hurt. I don't understand how that even works. My toes hurt that like that's what I'm talking about when it's like spite is you have this powerful moving moment of this kid who has felt like a freak and a monster for the whole movie finally like actualizing his potential and realizing that he is whole and you cut it from my toes hurt like no wonder he's pissed like no wonder yeah it's uh it's heartbreaking and it, if if we're okay with somewhat switching topics I absolutely have to talk about Ben Affleck because I haven't really yet. And he just from these two movies, BVS and the Snyder Cut of Justice League, he has come to mean so much to me as Batman to the point where he might even be my favorite actor playing the character. He um, I I love that. You know, I like I'm okay with dark, brooding, angry Batman who's on path of revenge. You know, that's that's a take on Batman even more than Superman. I think there are a lot of takes of Batman. But I love dad Batman, Batman, and this is absolutely Batman in dad mode. Him and Wonder Woman just so much feel like the parents of the Justice League in a way that I really, really love. But I've, I've just never felt so much like compassion and purpose and drive behind Batman before. I just love how dead set he is on saving the world, even though he is clearly out of his league and he's not on par with the rest of them. But he's so important in the team because of how he brings them all together. And he is the one who has the unwavering faith. He keeps saying to Alfred faith, Alfred, that they can pull this off even in front of impossible odds. And and it's crazy to me how much Ben Affleck disappears in this role. It's like some of the most acting I've ever seen him do as the character. He's probably the biggest star to ever play Batman. And I don't even see Ben Affleck in this role. Like he just looks like the perfect Bruce Wayne Batman. It's the perfect performance for the character. And I don't even see a shred of this actor in it. It's, it's crazy. I have come to love Batfleck um, so much. And this is in this movie, like it's crazy to say this particular movie might be my favorite cinematic Batman. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Also, I, I like how, you know, you can see that Superman's sacrifice has really revitalized his, you know, his outlook and, you know, like, is his faith. Like, you know, he says faith, you know what I'm saying? Imagine 
the the Batman in uh, BVS talking about faith. You know, he he was just downtrodden and just a beaten man. But like now he's he's like he's basically in Justice League. He's slowly gone back to the Batman that we knew him to be. Like you know, probably possibly before you know all that. You know, he's he's like the Batman we remember. You know, and and it's such much more like you know engrossing when you look at it like that. Like when you see the arc take place over that. You know, for him to go from the darkness and then just to go into the light. And I like also that, you know, he, he realizes that he's, he's out of his league. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, and uh, throughout the final battle, he really just runs point outside of, of the reactor. You know, while they're taking care of Steppenwolf and uh, uh, Cyborgs working on the, the unity of the mother boxes. He's just outside just killing parademons, you know. Because he knows, like, this is where I could be most of use instead of trying to sit there and fight Steppenwolf, which I know I'm, like, like, uh, like he, he basically does more than he did in the climax of BVS, you know, where Superman and Wonder Woman fight Doomsday. He's just over there in the corner, like, <laughs> good luck, you know. But I, I love, I love Affleck in the role. Like, he, he's definitely like one thing about iterations of Batman that I've noticed is that. Like the actors who play Batman, they always get one right, and like they always seem to be lacking in the other. Like you know, they they're either a good Batman or they're a good Bruce Wayne, but they're never both to me. And I feel like Ben Affleck is a great both. Like he's a perfect Bruce Wayne, like just absolutely just perfect Bruce Wayne, not just a look, but it's just like you know, and 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 the performance of it all. And uh, his his Batman is extraordinary. I, I I think he might be my favorite as well. I, I love Ben as Ben Affleck. I wish he would. We could have had like a twenty more uh, movies with uh, Batfleck, but um, you know that's not how the world works. And uh, we'll just have to deal with uh, my man Robert Pattinson and see how he does as Batman. I do love me some Robert Pattinson though, so I can't complain. No, Pattinson. <laughs> no, Pattinson is Pattinson is great. It's just I wish the, uh, I wish we had gotten like uh, we got to see that Batman movie with him versus Deathstroke and uh, whatever else that they have planned on. Yeah, but, I know. hear you. Well, but part of that is also you know Ben Affleck's worst enemy is Ben Affleck. And, uh, <laughs> he, he has a he has a Sylvester Stallone like ability to ride high and then implode and then build himself back up. Uh, but no, I agree with you. And and one of the things that I really do love about this version um, is the because Snyder has so much more time to work with they feel much more like a team like the justice league uh to where you know you you correctly pointed out rob like he's running point outside but it's also his plan that they're executing so mm-hmm. you know which is traditionally how the justice league kind of works is batman's the tac- the tactician he's the strategist he's the guy who plans right batman can beat anybody because he's got enough if he's got enough time to plan and so it it really does kind of drive that point home every person here in this in the final battle here has designated roles uh, and I love that Batman comes up with the plan. He's also the distraction, you know, and then 
Uh, Flash is is running around doing his thing, running around outside. Cyborg's got to get in and, and deal with the mother boxes. And then Wonder Woman and Aquaman do the punchy punchy. And uh, because that's, you know, you lead with your big guns, right? They're the, they're the, the punchy punchy. Um, and it all works uh, be, and it feels more cohesive because you can see everybody doing their thing. And in spite of that, it still, you know, almost fails, which is what makes it a, a kind of a riveting climax because they don't just come in and whoop ass. They, they almost lose. Uh, but it, uh, it just is a, is a perfect example of how giving this story more time to breathe and more time to exist makes it much more interesting and much more effective than, than what we got uh, initially. Completely agree. And and on the topic of the movie having more room to breathe, I am curious about something from you guys, about how you feel about the level of slow motion in this. Because I got to say, for me, it basically always worked. And I'm not a big slow motion guy. I don't like 300 or its sequel. I find them visually exhausting. Um, but I didn't feel that way in this movie. I always liked it when the music cues hit, even though sometimes they felt like objectively strange music cues but i i don't know maybe i was just riding the snyder wave in this but it always worked for me and the slow motion like it really upped how epic and grand everything felt and i usually do not feel a bit like that about slow motion but i did in this movie which was surprising no i agree the i i, I can't really have complain about slow motion i grew up on john woo so uh oh yeah <laughs> slow motion <laughs> slow motion has, has been my thing for a long time but uh now uh, what i wanted to point out um i wanted to uh point, go back to something that mike said about them feeling like a team and that was one of my biggest problems with uh the the theatrical cut is they never really felt like one especially in that final battle um like they they work together, but I don't, I didn't get the team aspect. And then when Superman showed up, it basically became Superman and friends. You know, he basically said, "I'll take over from here and shit." And they became useless. Like in in this one, like they really feel you really get the team aspect. As even when Superman shows up, because then they triple team uh, Steppenwolf, and uh, I, I still have that working in my brain that. Uh, Superman bully stepping moves to the to the flight music from uh, Man of Steel, the is 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 fantastic. I'll, I'll never forget that. But also, like, yeah, they they fully feel like a team in here, and that's what I love. I definitely get the 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 team aspect of it. You know, um, it's it's a it's, it's a glorious thing. Um, I remember me and Mike talked about this before. Uh, one of my I don't have many complaints about this, but I did have one. Uh, the I know Mike said he's not a fan of the black suit uh, that Soups is in. And uh, I mean, I didn't mind it, but there's one particular shot where um, after Aquaman smacks Steppy in the air and uh, they, they have that, that, that shot of Superman flying for him to uppercut him into the air. And I just thought to myself, now, how glorious would that shot have been if he was wearing the old red and blue? You know, that 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 familiar pose from Superman in the red and blue would have been such a beautiful thing. I mean, it still it still works, but uh, I would have liked to have seen that shot in the the red and blue. But you know, that's just me and my love of Superman. Yeah, no, I so 
first, because I do want to talk about the suit. Uh, Daniel, for me, on the slow motion. Um, so I, I don't like 300. I like its sequel, but that's a conversation for a, for a different day. Uh, but I, I don't like 300. That's the one Zack Snyder movie I actually unabashedly do not like. That and Sucker Punch, they both just give me headaches. Um, but I, um, I don't mind the slow motion because I think the problem, and Rob, I'm glad you brought up John Woo, because I think the problem with the slow motion in Snyder movies is not so much that Zack Snyder uses slow motion. It's that we are so tired of every wannabe Zack Snyder using slow motion. You know, it's the way that people still think John Woo gunfights are cheesy and they don't even understand John Woo gunfights, you know, saying movies are John Woo-esque when they're not even remotely close because there's been so many hack John Woo wannabes. I think most of the slow motion in this works. I think it's a way for people on Twitter to get their little digs in at a four-hour movie and be like, ooh, it's slow motion. You know, it's like, I saw somebody count and they said a fully, you know, 10% of the movie is in slow motion. It's like, did you really watch the movie and count how much slow... Like, get a hobby, man. Like, why would you do that? Why on earth? Just watch the damn movie or don't, but don't do that. That, that, that whole thing is just sort of the Twitterfication, I think, of all of our brains. Um, but I thought most of the slow motion work. There are some scenes at the start where I was like, okay, this could pick up just a little bit. I'll fully admit, and and we'll talk about some negatives uh, in a bit. I'll just ask you about some negatives. But I'll fully admit, I do think this movie could be cut. I I think this movie coming in at three hours or three hours and 15 minutes is arguably a better movie than the four-hour movie. Um, But... And you could tighten some of that stuff up, but it didn't bother me. As far as the suit goes, the biggest problem I have with it is there's just, it's just rule of cool. There's no explanation. You know, for those who don't know in the comics, he comes back to life in the black suit because it's a suit that's designed to increase the absorption of solar rays to help him heal and get him back up to full strength. If they had actually thrown a line in there about that, I mean, you've already got friggin'. Russell Crowe and Kevin Costner doing voiceovers as he's walking through the ship, which is my favorite scene in the movie. But you couldn't have had Russell Crowe also go, and uh, this black suit will help you, you know, heal. It will put it on, you know. And uh, that was a terrible Russell Crowe accent. I don't know what that was. It sounded more like somebody from one of Daniel's Hammer movies. But anyway, <laughs> but nonetheless, but it'd been like, put the black suit on. It'll help you heal, get you up to full strength. I don't think it would have bugged me as much because I do agree with you, Rob, all the cool shots of Superman would have been much cooler in the red and blues. And that's just because I think the two greatest comic book costumes ever invented are Superman's red and blues and Spider-Man's red and blues. I mean, I just, in my mind, there are no better comic book costumes ever made. Uh, And so uh, you know, that that was a bummer that it was the black suit for me. Uh, it didn't didn't affect me, didn't hurt my love of the movie, but it was a bummer. Yeah, Mike, I appreciate your explanation about the comics about the black suit because I haven't read that and I just didn't know. So the whole movie, I don't understand why he's in a black suit. The only thing I could think of 
is it looks more like what Jor-El is wearing in the prologue of Man of Steel. So I'm like, is this him honoring his father? I don't know. But I was mostly fine with it. The part where I was really disappointed is is towards the very, very end when he busts his shirt open to reveal the Superman logo. It's still the black suit. I was like, wait, no, like he should be back to the red and blue by now. Surely that was disappointing to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I, I think uh, one, one problem that Zach has is that uh, he uses uh, comic book stuff. Um, he takes stuff from the comics and I think he just uh, assumes that people would get it. Um, that, that people would just know that it's from, from the comics. Um, I'm, I, I will say though that, it, that that might be the case that he that's the reason why he put it on because of its regenerative powers because as soon as he puts it on he flies up he immediately flies toward the sun you know to to to, to get that regenerative power so like I guess that was the explanation there that uh, oh he flies toward the sun so that's that that's where that's where he gets it from but um what I, one thing I wanted to say though. Was funny to me how many people were saying that Zack Snyder was the wrong person for this movie, and that this movie is the one that people like the most, and it's the most Zack Snyder movie that he's made out of the three movies he's made in the DCEU. Like, if you watch any other, like especially like his Watchmen, it's almost like one and the same. Like the musical numbers, the slow motion. The, the extra cool shots, like th- out of the three movies, be- I would say Man of Steel is probably the most unlike him. Uh, like, you know, it's there's a lot of handheld work there. Uh, there's I, I can't recall any slow motion in uh, Man of Steel. Um, you know, no musical numbers. There's no really no musical numbers in Batman v Superman either. But, you know, it's much more closer to him. This one is basically 100% Zack. And it's the one that people like the most out of the three movies, and I just find that funny. <laughs> well, and I think the the thing with that is, is it, it is just it's interesting because I have had a long conflicted relationship with Zack Snyder. Um, I I think that uh, his movies have been done dirty quite a bit by studios. Um, I still don't like 300, but I didn't like the 300 graphic novel. I mean, I think that one was doomed from the source material for me. Um, and and Watchmen's kind of the same. I, this is sacrilege. Comic nerds are gonna gonna issue me death threats. I fucking hate Watchmen. I hate Watchmen. It is like my least favorite graphic novel of all time. Um, I, I do not enjoy it. I do not enjoy. Uh, that it has been elevated to this venerated state uh, because I think it it's not Moran Gibbons' fault, but much like people are blaming Zack Snyder for the screwed-upness of the DCEU, Watchmen ushered in the grimdark 90s, whether we wanted it to or not. Um, and I just... I'm not a fan. It's not for me. I'm not saying it's not great. I'm not saying it's not seminal. I'm just, I'm not a fan. Uh, And so I've had a very conflicted relationship with him. I will be the first to admit, I did not expect this movie to have this much heart because I do think that is something that is not typically in his movies. And I don't know if that's Chris Terrio writing it 
or if it's Snyder getting older or if he was always building towards this. But this movie is just big and proud to wear its emotions on its sleeve uh, every inch of the way. And I will fully admit that I did not see coming. I did not see that coming at all. I totally agree with you. This movie has a huge beating heart. I can't believe how sincere it it is. I mean, like I, I said before, like this is the most compassionate and warm I've ever seen Batman. And I sure never thought Zack Snyder was going to be the guy to do that. So, so yeah, I, I, I do find this movie a very sincere and warm and heartfelt movie, um, which is a big shock to me, but that's a big reason I connect with it so much. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I third that one. Um, this one is just unabashed. Like, like it, it, it's funny too because I noticed that in in the in the flash scene of where he he saves the league and he reverses time, every step he takes is emits the sound of a beating heart. If if you pay attention, like every time, like he when he's running, like he takes a step, it's a it emits a beating heart sound, and. Yeah, like that's that's definitely the the best way to, to look at it. Like this film is is full of heart and emotion and it it and it's weird too because it's like if if this was the version he shot, then what did they need to cut out, you know, to add uh puns and quips? Was that all you felt this movie needed? You know, because everything was right there. You, you had it like um, also to point out that he, he has stated that he had multiple cuts of the movie, like um, an edited form, like the film needed visual effects and the needed music, but he did have multiple cuts of the film. Like he, like his preferred one was one that was three hours and 34 minutes long, but he had one that was exactly three hours long. He had one that was 160 minutes long. He had one that was 140 minutes long. So like there's been a confusion that where people was like, oh, they they were right to cut this down because there's no way they were releasing a four hour movie. They were, he he wasn't turning in a four hour movie. He was ready to cut it down considerably. It's just that the fans wanted like everything you know that that he had at his disposal. So he took his uh, 214 minute cut and he added to that to make it a full four hours. And um, I, I, there, there. I, I guess we'll get into it in a bit. Um, there are some stuff could have definitely been left out of it, but uh, I'm, I'm glad we got it the way it is, though, because um, it, I think, I think, like I remember saying in my 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 letterbox review, maybe it had to be this way. Maybe it had, like, we had to go through 2017's version of it in order to get this version and appreciate all of it you know what i mean like who knows like what we would have gotten like even if he would have stayed on the film and released like you know him certified release uh from him in 2017 it still would have been this and i don't know if i wanted to wanted to see a cut down version of this because who knows what would have been cut out of it you know i don't i don't want to see anything cut out of this you know i i I love it i love it to death (laughs) Well, and on that note, um, 
I don't want this to just be a love fest because I I don't want everybody listening to think that we're just completely in the bag for this movie. I mean, emotionally, I am completely in the bag for this movie, but I'm also, you know, a film historian and a, a film critic, and I can fully acknowledge that this is not a perfect movie. And so I do want to transition to some of the things that we think maybe don't work as well. And I, I'm probably not going to surprise you guys at all by saying that for me, as interesting as it sets up stuff, I don't need the epilogue in this. And I damn sure don't need Jared Leto's Joker coming back. Uh, that 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 is something that I absolutely could have done with. What are your, what are your thoughts on the epilogue? I truly detest the epilogue. It's the only thing in the movie that I hate. It's the only thing in the movie I would really cut out. Like, could this movie be shorter? Sure. Would I cut stuff out? No, except for the, the future vision um i am a complete unabashed hater of jared leto's joker i'm sorry to his defenders and everything um for me like the joker in modern pop culture has become something that i don't like anymore and has become something i don't really recognize like i think heath ledger did a really good job as the joker in the dark knight but he did create a new character and that character has completely replaced the joker that i grew up loving which is mark hamill and jack nicholson and, and I love that character, but I don't think I'm going to see that character in a movie again, at least not for a very long time. And, and Jared Leto, to me, does feel like he is doing a bad impersonation of Heath Ledger, and that's kind of the extent of his take for me. Um, I don't like it at all. And, and as much as I adore, I adore Batman in this movie, the epilogue is the only time where it feels like what I would have guessed Zack Snyder would have done with Batman. Like he drops an F-bomb. There's no warmth or compassion. He says he's going to kill the Joker. And I'm like, this is this is at complete odds with what I have watched for the past four hours. But uh, okay, okay, Zach. And, um, and you know, it's just the, the thing is, it's probably setting up something we'll never see. So like, why not just leave it off? Like, I guess... I guess Zach just wanted his 100% vision no matter what, no matter what on screen. And I can respect that, but I, I can imagine when I rewatch this movie, probably just fast forwarding over that, but maybe still watching Martian Manhunter right after it. No, I, I definitely agree. Um, I, I would have been happy if they cut right after Superman reveals the S and cut straight to black. You could have just went straight to credits and this movie would have been perfect. That nightmare scene, I like the 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 idea behind the post-apocalyptic world in the DC universe, where it's like a post-apocalyptic Justice League, and you know, Batman's teamed up with Deathstroke. And 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 Joker, like I, I like that idea, but I yeah, that scene went on forever. Their conversation went on forever. I was just like, that was the one time in the movie where I felt the length, and it was just like, you just get on with it. Just, just please end this conversation. Uh, like, and and the way he shot it too. Like, I know it's definitely on purpose. You know, the out of focus thing. Like, you know, Zach is a very professional filmmaker, so if it's out of focus, it was on purpose. But I still don't appreciate it. It's annoying. Um, the yeah, the the Batman dropping the f bomb is, is like uh, well, or whatever. Um, and like the Joker being like, "Who's gonna give you a reach around?" Like I just yeah, yeah like it just <laughs> it, it it 
that that nightmare sequence is I have so much faith in this movie that had Snyder been able to make his versions I would have watched him to see if the mad bastard could have pulled it off but that nightmare sequence is literally every criticism that he gets about being an edgelord style over substance uh macho alpha male like douche like like all of the criticisms of Zack Snyder are condensed into that 20 minute nightmare sequence um and they're all right for that 20 minutes they are all right they are completely wrong for the three and a half hours that have come before that uh you know the 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 movie is three and a half hours of saying Zack Snyder haters you're wrong and then we get 20 minutes of or are you Maybe you're not so wrong after all, because uh, I now have to hear the Joker ask Batman about reach arounds. Uh, so, yeah, I, it's it's interesting. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm hitting stop after Superman opens the shirt to the S. That's it. when I watch this in the future. I'm hitting stop there. Like you said, Daniel, maybe I fast forward because I do like seeing Martian Manhunter at the end. That's pretty cool. Uh, and I do love that part because I love how just now completely unimpressed Bruce Wayne is by the idea of a green alien showing up at his doorstep. You know, like he's just like he's almost more annoyed that he got woken up out of his nap than he is that there's like this weird green alien at his doorstep. That was a nice touch. But unfortunately, yeah, nightmare sequence is a, is a fail for me. I, uh, to be honest, um, I don't. I don't think the film needed Martian Manhunter either. Um, as as much as it's cool to see Martian Manhunter, like especially that the reveal that it was a uh, um, uh, the what was the general? What was his name? Uh, Stanwick. Uh, that was a very like, cool reveal that we'd seen him in the past two movies before. Right. Right, but then it's like then you got the question like so he's been there this whole time and he's just done nothing, like he was oh, there shit, during that's uh, true. <laughs> he was there during the Black Zero uh, event where Zod and and the Kryptonian army was just tearing up Metropolis and he did nothing. He was there when uh, <laughs> Do- Doomsday was was causing havoc. He did nothing. Um, Steppenwolf came and was causing havoc. He did nothing. After they defeat Steppenwolf, he was like, "Hey, I'll catch you next time." Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's why Bruce is impressed. Like, where the hell were you when we needed you, bro? Like, but also because it, it it doesn't really fit in because Snyder has admitted that Martian Manhunter was a compromise, that that cameo at the end was actually supposed to be Jon Stewart, the Green Lantern. And it was and, originally um, supposed to be Travante Rhodes from uh, yeah. Moonlight that was supposed to play him. Yeah, which would have been amazing because Travante Rhodes is an amazing actor. And... It, it would it would have been more fitting, like if you listen to the dialogue, it would have been more fitting had it been John Stewart, Green Lantern, um, Martian Man, especially uh, uh, after we've already seen Martian Manhunter earlier in the movie, and also that cameo with Martian Manhunter earlier in the movie after the Lois's talk with Martha, kind of ruins that talk, you know, like you know um, Martha and Lois have this beautiful conversation about grief. And uh, he walks out the door and he transforms into Martian Manhunter. And it's like, uh, you kind of took the, the, the wind out of that whole moment right there. 
You know, I, I would have just cut right after like the, the conversation was done. Like the reveal that was Martian Manhunter was like, oh, oh, okay, you know, it's cool seeing Martian Manhunter, but you, you kind of fucked up that scene a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, that and um, the nightmare scene are just no. I'm I'm those are the two biggest aspects of the movie I, I don't like. Yeah, yeah, I, I, the, the only other stuff that I have is, 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 it's all minor quibbles. Um, as much improved as Steppenwolf is, uh, and he is much improved in this, I think we all agree on that. I'm still not completely sold on the, I mean, the, the, the suit made out of knives looks much cooler than whatever that monstrosity was in the theatrical version, but I'm still not completely sold on it. Uh, that being said, I, I do think some people complaining about him maybe have a little bit of, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, blinders on about just the general poor quality of comic book villains. I mean, by and large comic book movies, you know, Thanos was such a revelation in infinity war, but the reason he was such a revelation is because by and large comic book villains in movies are not terrific. Uh, I don't think Steppenwolf in this one is, uh, any better or any worse than, than average. Uh, I do like that. He's, stuck dealing with like middle management trying to get back in the boss's good graces. Um, but I still think he's not, he's not as good as he could have been. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I don't, I don't have too much. I, I've seen, I've seen a lot of complaints on Twitter and I gotta be honest with you. Most of them kind of fall flat for me. I just feel like I am not seeing the same movie. You know, I saw somebody complaining that Superman murdered soldiers and I was like, uh, well, but he didn't because the movie goes out of their way to show that they got out and even shows Batman checking on them. And on top of that, he's coming back as, you know, crazy, not with it, Superman. Like, I, I feel like a lot of the criticisms I've seen of this movie are criticisms that have been levied just because people don't want to like the movie uh, for for lack of a better way of describing it, which isn't to say that you have to like the movie. There's plenty of movies that I don't like that people love, but, uh, I, I don't, I don't have much to say. I just have to say, I have to come to the defense of my boy Steppenwolf because I've actually become a big, big fan of that character in this movie, yeah. which is a shock. Cause I said in the theatrical, he might be my least favorite comic book villain I've ever seen. But what I love about him in this movie is I love how sad he is. And I love mm -hmm. that I feel sorry for him. Like I love the moment when he's talking to um, basically dark side secretary. And he's like, Decide. do you think if I take this world, I can go home? And they're basically like, no, you still have to pay your debt. And he has this look on his face where he looks so depressed. <laughs> no, I no, it. I really, I really agree with you. I love Steppy. He, <laughs> like, I, I remember watching it and I was just like, when he's like, oh, he's so adorable. And he was like, what? And it was just like, <laughs> I love him. He's so, and like, he's like that, that whole scene when the Saad tells him, you still owe the great one 50,000 worlds. And he looks so shattered and defeated. And it's like, oh, you just want to put him in your pocket and take him home. It's like, oh, it'll be okay. It's okay, okay <laughs> Steffi. Don't worry about it. And, and like, that, that's why I'm like, when, when Superman bullies him at the end, 
fucking heat visions his horn off and all that. I'm like, oh. But at the same no. time, he is frightening in this movie when he launches oh, into yeah. action. Like, and he never felt like a threat in the first movie. Uh, sorry, the theatrical. Uh, but in this one, he feels like a seriously powerful, frightening threat uh, if he is in battle mode. Um, so I think that's great. And that, the armor that- works for me because of how much it looks like nothing that exists in our dimension. Like it does look otherworldly. And I respect that. I do. That's a good point. I do like that. And it's Kirby as hell. You know, for those listening, who don't know comics, Steppenwolf, Darkseid, all of these people were all created by Jack Kirby's new gods. And, and, and the movie does do a pretty good job of making it everything look alien as hell, which, which Kirby was great at. And Daniel, the one thing I do want to say, do agree with you on that is this is yet another massive improvement is the battle on Themyscira is a thousand times better in this version. I mean, Steppenwolf is far more terrifying, but on top of that, the Amazonians are, are much more, or the Amazons are, are much more powerful and so it's mm-hmm. just all around better. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, Rob, you mentioned a couple. Why would you cut that out? One of the ones that I first thought, my wife, Kelsey, who loves Wonder Woman, uh, says Wonder Woman's like her favorite comic book character. She loves the mascara. She loves all of that. When uh, when Hippolyta goes, uh, show him your fear and you get all the Amazon. We have no fear. And she's like, why the fuck would you cut that out? Like, why on exactly. earth would you cut that scene out? Like, like it's just, it's crazy. The stuff that they cut out, um, because it does increase Steppenwolf's threat. It does increase, uh, his menace and it, it makes the stakes, the, the stakes in this movie actually legitimately feel like end of the world stakes to me. Um, in a way that honestly, I think really only infinity war, uh, can compete with, uh, that's, that's the only other one where I really feel like the end of the world stakes are really as strong as the movie wants us to feel like they are. Um, and so I, I think that's, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I ain't hating on Steppy. I'm just saying he's, he's not as good as I kind of, and part of that's also my bias. I really like his comic book design and I kind of wish they could have come up with something a little more similar to that. Uh, but I will say also another actor that was done dirty is, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce his first name, but is Syrian Hines who actually gives a tremendously menacing vocal and mocap performance of Steppenwolf and was a complete non-factor in the theatrical version. And he is a tremendous actor. Uh, so he, yet again, on the list of actors done dirty on this movie. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I think uh, my only other criticism, and it's it's a small one, but I do think Aquaman stands out as being the weakest of the team and the least interesting. And I think it's very, very clear that James Wan took massive strides forward in his Aquaman movie with the visuals of Atlantis. I don't think anything with Atlantis looks cool in this movie. And Zack Snyder really should have had the insight to know to make Amber Heard stop doing that British accent. And thank God James (laughs) Wan had that wisdom. Um, So the Aquaman stuff is a little weak for me. And uh, and that's, that's basically the only last criticism I have. I think he. Um, I do like though that what 
Aquaman is in this one. He's very he's a lot warmer than he is in the theatrical cut. In the theatrical cut, he's very much a dude bro. And and this one, Bob like he, Yeah. <laughs> and in this one, he's a lot warmer. Like um like the the the, um, the concern he shows for Victor that the that his his dad is dead because of us. And um and he's like, you think he's okay? And then like it obviously um, it affected him in a way because at the end of the movie, after he gets back from the battle, he goes straight to see his father. I'm going to go see my father when uh, um, Willem Dafoe and Amber Heard are like, you know, you got to come help us defeat Orm. He's like, I'm going to go see my dad. And, and, and I like that. I like that that uh, that they had that in there. But yeah, you know, uh, I think Juan did an incredible job where he took Aquaman and yes, Amber Heard's British accent is terrible. Um, I, I, I can see why one was like, "Yeah, don't do that, honey." We're, we're, let's just forget the British accent here. And also, um, Willem Dafoe's creepy scarecrow hair. Um, I, I, I don't like the, the that that pullback ponytail look in Aquaman either. But the that scarecrow hair is like, ugh. Neither design works for poor Willem Dafoe in either version of his character. <laughs> so what I will say, I wonder if some of that is the function of the fact that Aquaman was already well into production, um, you know, when this movie was was being shot, like they were well into pre-production on Aquaman. And so I'm wondering if part of it was, well, we know in a year there's going to be an Aquaman movie. So we're not going to spend as much time on him as we're going to spend on everybody else. Because I do think he gets a bit of the short shrift as far as time spent on him. He certainly gets the least amount of time except for Superman. Um, that being said, I, I do think there are some, you know, you mentioned some, some nice scenes, Rob. The, the other one that I really like is you mentioned it when he says, you know, we're, we're asking a kid who just lost his father, but I, you, the other part of that is Barry says, I thought you didn't care. And Arthur says, I never said that. And I, I thought that was really nice. Again, another example of the way this movie is wearing its heart on its sleeve. Even the most cynical, grumpy character of the group still is is an emotional, compassionate person. Um, I also don't like I, I don't like the bubble to talk underwater. I'm glad James Wan no. just got rid of that and was like, they're just going to fucking talk underwater. It's fine. It's Aquaman. They can talk underwater. Um, I, I don't, I didn't like the bubble. Uh, it is tough. We watched Aquaman the next night, like immediately after watching this. And, and I love, I unabashedly love Aquaman. I so do I. Or die for that movie. I love it to death. I do. Um, I do as well. It, it's, it's beautiful. It's funny. I don't think that it's as different you guys haven't said this, but I've seen some other criticisms that say it's almost like it's a different character. And I, I just, I don't see that. Uh, I see that one took, he's, he, he took this character and he did springboard from it. I know he had to work a little bit with the theatrical cut too, but I, I can absolutely see the character in this ending up as, as the Aquaman in, in that one. Um, but he's he's I think served the least well by the movie. Uh, but again, he got his own. It's kind of the same thing with Wonder Woman. You know, she's terrific and tremendous, and I love her in this. But she also already had her own movie, so she doesn't. There's not really a lot of character development for Wonder Woman in this movie because most of that character development is done in 
Patty Jenkins Wonder Woman. Um, and I'm fine with that. That's There's not a lot of character development for Tony Stark in the Avengers because we had two Iron Man movies going into the Avengers. You know, Mark Ruffalo gets most of the character development in that movie because he's the new character. So um, it's a criticism, but it's I think it's I, I think you would agree, Daniel. It's kind of a minor one, though. It's not really one that it makes or breaks the movie. Oh, absolutely. Like, he's not bad in the movie by any means. It's just, and, and he does have the problem that by the end of Aquaman, he's reached a character arc. He's the king, and you feel like he's earned it. He's wearing the orange suit. And this is all before that. So, that is, you know, that's an un, unsurmountable hurdle right there. And it's really just that I think everyone else in the movie of the team is amazing and has amazing moments. And Aquaman is just the lowest on that scale. But I still like Jason Momoa as Aquaman is I love it. So I, I'm still a fan of him in this movie, but I just don't think he shines as bright as everyone else. And the visuals of Atlantis are a legitimate criticism for me. But that got fixed in the next year. Yeah, yeah. Atlantis looks terrible in this. I, I agree. I, I think most of the underwater stuff just doesn't it doesn't really work. Uh, I mean, it works in that the action scenes are good, but it just it's again, my man Snyder does not like a bright color palette. And I don't mind it most of the time in this movie, but I think it does work against him in the uh, in the Atlantis underwater stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, fellas, we are going on an hour and 40 minutes. So I think uh, I think people probably know how we feel about Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League. So I'm going to start winding us down here. Rob, any thoughts, anything else you want to bring up before we, we we wrap stuff up? Um, no. Um, I think we touched on uh, pretty much everything. Um, I will say that uh, it seems to me that uh, that it's like you said that uh, I guess that they knew that uh, Aquaman movie was coming out, so they didn't really have to do much. But like, it seems to me like the the focus was on the three lesser members, specifically Cyborg, who's basically like the main character, and then you have Flash right behind him. And then you have Aquaman, but Aquaman doesn't really, you know, factor in because he was getting his own movie. And then, like, the, the main three also almost take the back seat to them for the most part. You know, Wonder Woman already had her own movie. We already had Batman explaining a little bit in Batman v Superman, and Superman shows up later. So, and he had his own movie. So it really just falls on the, the lesser three, you know, but... Uh, uh, which I which I liked, which I liked. I like that they they got their their big moments. Like I said, like it's it's funny that the Flash probably gets the most heroic moment out of the movie, where he basically saves, well, he basically saves the entire world because that blast was going to kill everybody, and him reversing time saves everybody, not just the league but the entire world. And they they're not going to know it. They're not going to know that what he did for them, you know. And, and and just I, I I love all that stuff. I love that kind of stuff. And just yeah, um, that's it. That that's that, those are my final thoughts. Um, I, I love this movie. I, I think I made that clear. But uh, yeah, I'm good. Daniel. Oh boy, I have pages and pages of notes, but I will whittle it down. I'll just say two more things real quick. One, I do love how calm and quiet and slow this movie begins. I'm actually a big fan of that. And I do love the Icelandic women singing, uh, which I've heard some people criticize that it goes on too long. But for me, it gave the movie kind of like a fantasy feel, almost Lord of the Rings-like. 
So I'm a big fan of that. Uh, and then I also have to say, this movie has one of my favorite superhero moments ever in a movie. And I teared up the first time I saw it, which is after Wonder Woman defeats those bad guys in, in her first scene, which, by the way, is a fascinating sequence to compare to the opening robbery scene in Wonder Woman 84 and just how drastically different the approaches are to an opening crime that Wonder Woman has to stop. But um, I love after she defeats them and she's just checking on all the kids, asking them all if they're OK. And she tells the one kid, you can be anything you want to be. I, I find that just beautiful, perfect superhero moment on screen. Yeah, no, it's 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 great. You know, the the one for me and I've tweeted it out a bunch and you guys know. I, I think it has also one of my favorite superhero scenes, which is I mentioned it earlier, Superman in the ship with the voiceover, but uh Russell Crowe and saying, Love them as we loved you, and then Kevin Coster saying, Fly, son, it's time. I can't even say it now without choking up. That's how much I love it. Um <clears throat> Yeah, I, I I love it. Um, the other thing I really did, last thing I do want to say, because I, like you, Daniel, had uh, pages and pages of notes, but I don't know that anybody's going to want to listen. I think people are already like, guys, we get it. We get it. You like the movie. Um, <laughs> is, uh, I had notes, too, and shit. I just went, <laughs> I just went for it. I, uh, I do love how much reverence they put in this on bringing Superman back to life. It's not just a thing that wham, bam happens. Like it's a big deal and it's very reverent and it's very, it feels epic the way bringing Superman back to life should feel. Uh, and I, I, I liked that quite a bit. Um, so yeah, other than that, uh, you know, folks, we like the movie. We really recommend you watch it. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk and a lot of chatter about it and a lot of toxicity and stuff. And, but we are all three fans and I, I didn't pick these guys to come on just because I knew they liked it. Like I had thought of them well before I knew what they thought of the movie, uh, because, but I didn't want people who were just going to come on and immediately be in the negative, which is I God love Dana for knowing that and bowing out and just being like, it's not going to be very fun if I come on and he's like, I'm probably not even going to watch the movie, but if I do, I'll probably just end up coming on and being negative for an hour and, and nobody wants to hear that. Um, so I, you know, thank you to Dana for letting me do this and and getting to talk about this movie that I absolutely adore um, with two of my very, very good friends who I also absolutely adore. Um, boys, plug some shit. Rob, let's start with you. Where can people find you? Why does everybody start with me for the plugs? Because <laughs> I know you no, hate no. plugging stuff. So I want, it's like a Band-Aid. I want to rip it off and, and get it done. Yeah, that's the that, that that's I think that's the joke with everybody. Just <laughs> with uh, they they know how much I hate plugs, so they always go with me first. <laughs> but um, of course, um, you can find me at the uh, the Action Drunkies the podcast hosted by me and uh, my brother from another Mac, the All Star. Uh, second season premieres very soon. Um, you can also find me on the House That Screams horror podcast with uh, my dear dear friend uh, Candy, the Final Girl. Um, you can find us on uh, Action Drunkies uh, uh, Twitter as a Action Drunkies uh, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can find me as the Cinema Drunkie on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. If you would like to look forward uh, to um, House uh, the House that Screams, you can find them at 
uh, on Twitter at house underscore screams. Um, yeah, the the I, I when I'm doing plugs, I usually plug you, Mike, but uh, you're here, so uh, I, I I think that <laughs> you know it makes more sense for you to do that yourself. Like I always plug Mike, and, and uh, it's like Mike is here, so <laughs> it makes no yep, sense I'm to here. plug Mike. But <laughs> yeah, but but shout out to Mike though for for. Uh, having me on to do this i really appreciate it. i love you buddy <laughs> love you too brother uh daniel uh so i host a podcast called cobwebs it is right now called cobwebs a gothic cinema podcast it, the name is about to change though to the just the cobwebs podcast which is honestly what most people call it anyway so i don't think it's going to be a, a drastic thing uh we talk about old horror movies but we're going to start branching out more into just old movies in general uh, so we have an episode coming up on uh, three 1940s film noir movies uh, that are all co-starring Vincent Price. I'm having on uh, honest-to-God film noir expert Rosalie Lewis from the F This Movie website and podcast. Um, so that's an exciting episode coming up. I also recently started a YouTube channel called Cobwebs Dusting Off Classic Cinema, uh, which is on my Blu-ray collection and old movies. And um, I did actually just put out a video on five pre-1970s classic films that you can now watch on HBO Max after you watch Justice League. So it is five old movies that for some ridiculous reason that I come up with pair with Justice League in some way. So um, if you're interested in that, you can find that on YouTube. Oh, and shout out Mike, much like Rob did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as you all know, you can find me uh, at Hibachi Justice on Twitter. You can find my other show, Adkins Undisputed, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world, at Adkins Podcast on Twitter, uh, and anywhere podcasts are found. You can follow this show on any major podcast app of your choice, including Amazon Music. You can follow Dana on Twitter personally at uh, Real Dana. Dana Buckler. You can follow the show at Dana Buckler Show. You can follow him on Instagram at the Dana Buckler Show. We have a Facebook group, uh, the Dana Buckler Show. So join us there and hang out. I don't use the Facebooky, but Dana's there frequently, so you can chat with him there. Uh, you can also find Dana's radio show on the Dash Radio app, Hollywood Unfiltered, where he dives into untold stories of Hollywood, talks to Hollywood insiders, and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and you. You can find all of those links at linktree slash Dana Buckler show. Once again, uh, uh, gracious thank you to Dana for allowing me to do this episode. I really wanted an outlet to be able to talk about this movie and he was kind enough to let me do it. Uh, and uh, big thanks to Rob and Daniel for joining me on this. Uh, gentlemen, it was a pleasure and it was a blast. Um, we will talk again soon. <laughs>